Warning! This movie podcast actually discusses movies. Be aware that it may discuss any of the following elements. Endings, surprise twists, unexpected cameos, and all manner of spoilers. If this doesn't appeal to you, why listen to a movie podcast? Without further ado, please enjoy our feature presentation, The Shameless Picture Show. So you were saying about going full on cold, stone cold Steve Austin. Well, yeah, if I lose all of my hair uh, and if I get rid of my, my beard, I'm going to look like a thumb. <laughs> like I could draw a, a, like a, a face on my thumb and like just use it as my avatar. No one would know it's not me. Put teeny tiny little glasses on it. <laughs> Pretty much. No. And, and pierce the middle. <laughs> I realized I look more mature with this haircut and the, the glasses. I feel like if I didn't have like so many tattoos, I could be teaching. <laughs> and I used to be a teacher. Yeah. Oh, I yeah, am. film. I always forget about that. I, granted, it was to children. Uh, Somebody so trusted it. me to educate. <laughs> I st- one of my favorite stories involved with that is still when um, I had to get uh, uh, permission slips for anything I showed. Even if it was like anything above G, rated G, I had to get permission slips for. It's like, these kids are in fourth grade. Like, okay, whatever. Um, and <clears throat> I used to like to see how far I could push it. <laughs> never actually intending to show some of the stuff that right. I I was I was putting on my list. I was just seeing if I could get away with it. <laughs> so I remember one time I made a list of movies that I wanted to show, and it included <clears throat> Empire Strikes Back, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and Spaceballs. <laughs> and all of them got approved. Nice. And I was like, Raiders of the Lost Ark has that really frightening scene at the end where the space, the space melts melting, off. Yeah. Spaceballs has got, like, granted, kids aren't going to get some of the, the jokes that are questionable, but they're there. Who made that man a gunner? I did, sir. He's my cousin. Who is he? He's an asshole, sir. I know that. What's his name? That is his name, sir. Asshole. Major asshole. And his cousin? He's an asshole, too, sir. Gunner's made first class Philip Asshole. How many assholes we got on this ship, anyhow? Yo! I knew it. I'm surrounded by assholes. Yeah. Uh, plus, there might be a couple dirty words. I'm not. Too, I don't remember exactly. Even but, scarier like, than the face melting from the arc, though, was the Kalima heart pull from um, Temple of Doom. You're not that wrong. One haunted my nightmares. Uh, but you know what movie was? Uh, was was I was not allowed to show Aladdin. <laughs> Do you know why? <laughs> and I quote, because on the uh, the piece of paper the principal gave me, it says, this movie has a negative connotation of Middle Easterns. <laughs> well, if that isn't the pot calling the kettle black. <laughs> it's like, okay, I'll be over here showing Raiders of the Lost Ark. Thank you, and Spaceballs. <laughs> oh, and I couldn't, I could show some Spaceballs. With the title Spaceballs. Right. But Frankenweenie got turned down because the title Frankenweenie. I was going to do a, a Weenie Balls combo. <laughs> the, the double feature. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I was making this up. This is all 100% true. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I, I am so glad that it is. Had, had you seen Suspiria before? Once. But okay. it was one of those movies that kind of left an indelible mark on me. And I had not seen it since... I saw it on IFC 
uh, in high school. And uh, one, of the re- one of the reasons I hadn't seen it for a while is because it was not available for a while. Okay. There were some bad versions of it floating around, and it wasn't until this 40th anniversary that it kind of came into everyone's lexicon again because there's a new 4K scanned version of the film that came out that a company called Synapse completely restored. And on, uh, and on top of that, there was also like a near immaculate print found in Italy. So it's kind of oh, been wow. on the tip of everyone's tongue because it's actually been being shown in theaters. Cool. So yes, I had seen Suspiria. It just it's been so long that I remembered. I remembered some key scenes, but not all of it. Right. But right. I feel like because we're already talking about it, I should do my intro. We should should we actually officially talk about it? Yep. Unless you got any uh, any other new business you want to attend to. Any any old business? Any yeah. new business? Um, I saw... Well, we can, we'll talk about this uh, after Suspiria, but I saw a Hitchcock film that I had never heard of until can, recently. Can I get the title before we jump into Suspiria? You may. Rebecca. I have not seen that one either, but it's interesting that you chose to watch a Hitchcock film, or you didn't, you know, that happened yeah. while we're talking about Suspiria, because in a lot of ways, you don't see it as much in Suspiria, but Argento's known as the Italian Hitchcock. Okay. And it's because of his early Giallo films, but we'll, we'll, we'll touch on that cool. once we start the episode proper. All right, well, I'll, I'll read this intro. <clears throat> Gotta get into character. <laughs> Crust the clown water. Red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. <laughs> the arsonist had oddly shaped feet. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of the Shameless Picture Show. I am Michael Vyers and with me, as always, is one man that definitely knows a thing or two about witches. Nick Richards. It wasn't my best one, but I made it there, work. There was a line towards the end that made me think of it. Uh, uh, that might be a good intro one, but I I don't remember. There, there was one I wanted to use, but your name doesn't work, and they're like, if your name starts with an S, you're a snake. <laughs> it was, was like, all right, we'll we'll take it again. If his name had started with an S, it would have been a snake. <laughs> Nick Richards. <laughs> oh, <clears throat> where were we? Uh, on this episode, we'll be discussing Dario Argento's masterpiece, Suspiria. Suspiria tells the story of a young Susie Bannon that goes to a very prestigious dance academy in Germany. Once there, she finds the school isn't all it's cracked up to be, and it's just a cover during a series of bloody murders. Susie, along with her schoolmate Sarah, look to uncover what's really happening. Suspiria is directed by Dario Argento, written by Dario Argento and his muse at the time, Daria Nicoletti, and stars Jessica Harper, Stephanie Cassini, Barbara Magnolfi, Alita Valley, and Joan Bennett. You know Roses are red, violets are blue, but the iris is the flower that will mean the end of you. Suspiria. You can run from Suspiria. From Suspiria. Suspiria. But you cannot escape. Suspiria. 
You know what I've realized whenever I write these intros, Nick? What's that? That I'm always like, I try to write them so they're spoiler free, but we talk about the spoilers <laughs> right in the episode anyways. And now we have our intro that says, don't be offended about spoilers. Yeah. But I, I like the flavor of your intro. I think it's... It's it, honestly... It's just it's, a jumping off point. It sounds dumb, but it's honestly the hardest part about every episode is figuring out how to describe this movie quickly without giving too much away and still be able to talk about who wrote it, who's in it, and any yeah. other pertinent information. Sure. Uh, one thing I, I, didn't, I forgot to mention in this intro was... Uh, 2017 was Suspiria's 40th anniversary. Happy anniversary, Suspiria. Yeah. So, this was on your shameless. I had it seen was. it once before. I wouldn't say I'm an expert on the film. Like, <laughs> you know, I uh, it's not a movie I knew beginning to end, but I had seen it. Uh, but it's on your shameless. So, let's talk about witches and Suspiria yeah. and colored lighting. <laughs> was there colored lighting? I didn't notice any colored lighting. It might have been a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> um, my my first impression um, I was... Kinda, real quick, I kind of... Uh, I'm curious to see what you say, because I had I told Amanda, like, I feel like I know some of Nick's thoughts on this film already. Yeah. Let's definitely hear your thoughts. Um, reminded me a lot of my memory, because it's been a while, of Rosemary's Baby. Okay. Um, moody. Where all of them witches. Not a whole lot happens through most of it. It's funny because not a you're you're not wrong. Where not a lot <laughs> happens, but a shit ton happens at the same time. At like there there's a lot of things that for me didn't really pay off, and I get why they were in there. Um, but like the jump stairs of like say the bat. <laughs> the sequence yeah or or um i spent the majority of the movie a little underwhelmed it is obviously beautifully shot the lighting is stark and makes it interesting you know it it it's a feast for the eyes mm-hmm. um oh uh i now i remember that other jump point that didn't pay off for me was the maggots the magnet sequence. It's yep. it's a it's cool aesthetically, but didn't really add. It's there was a lot of time spent not adding a whole lot to the story for me. Um, jumping back, uh, so the lighting, uh, obviously the locations and all of those rooms um, made it really rewarding to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, the soundtrack is fascinating. Um, but I spent the majority of the film preparing to be disappointed, and I enjoyed the ending, and it pulled it up a bit for me. It wasn't the ending wasn't good enough to go. Oh, okay, I get it all now, <laughs> and now it was all worth the journey. Like it, uh, not bad. It had a lot of really good elements to it, but in the end, I was a little underwhelmed. That's fair, and that's honestly kind of how I thought you were going to feel, mainly because I know the type of films that you like, and yeah. you are a story first, everything else second type of guy, yeah. and uh, Argento is not. 
<laughs> right. Uh, here, here, there's a uh, a magazine. It's a Canadian magazine called Rue Morgue. It's a uh, it's all it's a horror magazine, and every so often they do these books. Uh, this one is called Rue Morgue Magazine's Horror Movie Heroes. Cool. And in this one, Rue Morgue, a... of course, the uh, Edgar Allan Poe reference. Yeah. Um, and this one in this episode they have they, it's oh, not this episode but in this volume they've got a, uh, they talk about a bunch of different directors and this one they have uh, a, a conversation between John Carpenter about Dario Argento because he's one oh, of his okay. favorite filmmakers but what's really interesting to me is the introduction by uh, the writer Michael Doyle who uh, I'm gonna go on a whim and say you have not seen much of Argento's work before I'm not sure if I've seen any of his work until now this, this kind of gives a nice surmise to uh, who he is, his work, and then that's, I think it's a jumping off point because I've got things to comment on about everything that you've said. Not necessarily defending his decisions, but trying to explain necessarily uh, why he did them. Sure. So, Michael Doyle writes, For some, Dario Argento is the Italian Hitchcock, a Baroque visionary whose best films are a delirious alchemy of righteous color, bravura camera movement, nerve-shredding music, and stylized violence. For others, his movies are empty, excessive, <laughs> and barely coherent, vile and lurid products of an unrepenting misogynist. Whatever your view, one cannot deny that Argento's influence on horror cinema is profound. Suspiria from 1977, his classic tale of witchcraft at a German dance academy, is a breathtaking assault on the visual and oral senses that stands as one of the genre's uh, most endearing triumphs. His other arresting masterworks include The Bird at the Crystal Plumage from 1970, Deep Red from 1975, Inferno from 1980, which is actually kind of a sequel to this, okay. uh, Tenebrae in 1982, and Opera in 1987, which all effectively marry high art, rigorous technical skill, and crass exploitation to create something uniquely lyrical and unsettling. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, and Tenebrae... Uh, you added to my shame list because that's one of your top films, yes? Yes. Uh, it's a movie he made, because uh, to underst uh, understand kind of where Argento's coming from is in, Ital in Italy, there is a style of film known as giallo. It's, um, it's, in a lot of ways, it's kind of a precursor to slasher films. Um, they kind of went in tandem to them. Um, usually um, very violent crime films. You know, if you've ever seen... Um, the image of a black-gloved killer. That's an image that's invoc invocative of the giallo. Giallo meaning okay. yellow in Italian because a lot of the pulp novels were printed on yellow paper. Okay. Uh, Dario Argento was one of the guys who really kind of brought a sense of class to this. Him and Mario Bava and a, and a couple other ones. Uh, and his first, his first film, Birth of a Crystal Plumage, is it's kind of it's you can see the beginnings of this idea of you know high art thinking with a lowbrow subject matter and uh the way that he built suspense and tension was very invocative of hitchcock so much so that the film came out in 1970 i didn't realize hitchcock was still alive at that point <laughs> uh it was actually his favorite movie of that year okay uh and then a lot of people say because when he met daria nicoletti which is was his longtime girlfriend um that Argento kind of Suspiria is his second first film, okay. Because the type the type of films he was making completely changed, right. and it became okay. like this fever dream, this assault on your senses. And uh, I will be the first to admit, Dario doesn't care about story. 
um, a lot of and there, even the critics like who love this film will say that maggot scene didn't pay off. There's really nothing <laughs> there other than to just add an idea of dread and uncomfort. Why yeah. is it there? We don't know. And it's one of those things that you can look, you can deeply look into the film. And I'll be the first to admit, first time I saw Sasperi, I didn't love it. I was like, what did I just watch? Did I miss something? <laughs> like, it's it's almost like this idea of nightmare logic. And uh, you feel like you're in a weird fever dream because, honestly, uh, the music beats you over the head. Yeah. to some that's it's it you get a vile reaction from it but to others it's it's really fascinating and, and like uh i had the benefit of watching this on a blu-ray with a nice sound system where they restored a its soundtrack and to hear the way sounds move throughout the soundscape is unsettling like normally you have a two shot you know the, the audio comes out the middle of the speaker yeah. You know, the only time, like, it'll come out of the far right or the far left is when the character's off screen. Dario is not afraid to do a two-shot and have all the character on the left side's audio come out just the left speaker and the person on the right just the right speaker. When you're watching a two-shot, it's, like, almost disjointing. It's kind of like what Kubrick tried to do in The Shining, where he was just adding intentional things to throw you off. Yeah, I there were actually several points in this film that uh, evoked The Shining for me like um oh oh you want me to actually support my point damn yes um the the one that i remember most vividly was the swimming pool sequence yes uh that over the head shot with the that um graphic uh very very uh geometric graphic pattern Mm -hmm. in the bottom of the pool and that really nice push in yep um just it it felt and and some of the the other slow pushes throughout um, uh, just gave you the same feeling that you'd get uh, as you move around the hotel in in uh, The Shining. Yeah, and <laughs> I pumped very... my mic, and then all thought went out of my head. It's like when I plugged my mic in, and my computer shut off. Right. Yeah. Um... I am the computer. <laughs> I think that's a, I think that's a really interesting way to look at it because uh, Kubrick was inspired by a lot of European cinema and these these very symmetrical shots and uh, uh, 
well, now I can't think correctly, uh, are all <laughs> very indicative of, of European cinema. And, uh, like, the one thing you, you have to, one can't deny about Suspiria is it's art directed to hell. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, the, you never feel like there's something in the shot that's not intended to be there. Yeah. And, and, and I really enjoyed, you know, again, I, I've made this statement before. It's really hard for me to dislike a film. And yeah, I am I'm, in, far, I'm in the same boat. I am far from disliking this film. Yeah, um, I, I, I kind of knew after I watched it again, it's like, Nick, this is not Nick's bag. He's not going to hate it, but this is not Nick's bag. Yeah, it's it's not in my primary wheelhouse, but it was a fun watch. It was, you know, a, a treat for the eyes. Um, the, the soundtrack and the visuals together... Um, you know, you you go through something, you feel something. So, it was a success. It just didn't stimulate me in all of the ways that I like to be when yeah when I'm watching something. And it's one of those things that um, I think I remember reading somewhere that uh, an author said that you uh, you don't watch the spear, you experience it. Right. <laughs> and uh, he said, unfortunately, he's like the first time I saw it was on a on a grainy VHS tape. And he's like, and if I could uh, have any experience back, he's like, if I could re-experience the spear for the first time, because he said the first time you see it, that's your first time. Yeah. It's never gonna be the same the second time. And like I'm kind of bummed out that there was there was a couple there was a screen in here in Milwaukee that was on the on the big screen. I feel like that would have been a completely just different experience altogether. Um, but no, what's what I find fascinating and kind of amusing at the same time is the fact that you you look at this film and you know the story is whatever. I could tell you what the story is about, but um, it's not the first and foremost thought yeah. of this film but what you i don't find sell this film on the story you sell it on the mood and the visuals and yeah the aesthetics like, none of the trailers sold this movie on the story at all <laughs> especially the american trailers which are weird um but what's interesting about it is how it almost it's, it's intentional in a strange way because you can't watch this film and say nothing that you, you you know by watching this film everything everything in the fucking frame is intentional as hell yeah. and it's just weird that the story is the second is the thing that he cares the least about <laughs> considering his early films while there's times where they kind of felt fever dreamish because not everything added up you know they were murder mysteries they're whodunit so everything kind of had to lead into each other and yeah. be this and it's almost just like an opium dream of a film yeah, he he released himself from the confines of of story. Yeah, and actually, in a lot like um, in some of the interviews and uh, documentaries I've watched about Argento, he talks about like he made his film Deep Red, which was kind of his thesis statement of the Jalo of everything that he learned, and then was kind of like, well, I don't know what to do next, <laughs> you know. Uh, and Daria Nicoletti, he was his uh, girlfriend at the time, said, "Well, don't do another Jalo, do something right. different." And she kind of pushed him into making Suspiria because um, I don't know what 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 of this is rumor and hearsay, how much of it is true. But there's talks that Daria Nicoletti went to a dance school that or went to a school that she felt was a front for um, for <laughs> witchcraft. And there was also a um, a book. Let's see if I can find the title of it right now. Uh, da, 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 da. It's a book by Thomas De Quincey. Uh, it's it's supposed to be recounting uh, an opium dream about three mothers uh so three witches and their f- foothold 
in like this triangle of countries that are supposed to be you know an area where there's more witches in the world than anywhere else and dario argento honestly believes this he believes the these witches are real um so you know it's based on a book written by a guy who was high on opium (laughs) like it's gonna be fucking weird right (laughs) what i find interesting i'm gonna ask you see if you if you notice this at all because there's there's another writer who writes for a website called Kino Eye, which is about, uh, their main thing is kind of like a, an online zine, and their whole thing is about new perspectives on European film. And the writer, Linda Schultz Sauce, maybe I'm saying that wrong, <laughs> refers to Argento as Disney's hidden reverse. And I'm curious if you notice this because his, one of his all time favorite films, and the film that he took the most influence in while making this, is Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Okay. What wouldst thou know, my queen? Magic mirror on the wall. Who is the fairest one of all? Famed is thy beauty, majesty. But hold, a lovely maid I see. Rags cannot hide her gentle grace. Alas, she is more fair than thee. Alas for her. Reveal her name. Lips red as the rose, hair black as ebony, skin white as snow. Snow white. I told Amanda this and she's like, where? (laughs) And I was like, I can see it. Like, so I'm just curious. I would have to watch it again. That is such a mental departure that i would have to watch it with that in mind to possibly make any like i can't make those connections in retrospect i don't think i have to watch it with that in mind well but maybe this one will help you a little bit like um because how i think he means it is because to me it feels very reminiscent of a grim fairy tale yeah yep and then the colors of snow white he sent, he essentially is making a living cartoon. Yeah. It's um it's funny you describe it that way cuz I you know given the the films that we have watched it uh evoked uh creep show for me. Yeah. Which is that uh you know transition between animation and and real life. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just trying to feed you stuff, trying to invoke <laughs> you, Nick. <laughs> Trigger me, Michael. Trigger me. Because I'm giving you some of my best stuff, and you're like, yeah, I yeah, see sure. it. No, okay. I don't. Uh, <laughs> I knew this was going to be a hard film to discuss. Like I even said this with Amanda, because like it's a movie that's hard to put into words. And while there are a lot of essays and articles out there about the film, it's like, shit, how do I... How do I summarize this? Dive in. Well, let me look over my notes real quick. Um, there, there was one point. Um, it was during one of her earlier episodes. Okay. And she's she's walking around the school for the first time, I think, and she sees the woman like polishing something that kind of looks knife-like, but it's from a tray of like you know, a tea set or something. 
and she starts kind of freaking out and just breathing heavy and there's no reason for it and I thought at that point and wrote it here's here's my note she better be the killer or magically linked somehow otherwise she's being ridiculous <laughs> which you do come to find out later that she is being affected by these witches spells yeah um and for me, what I find internally fascinating about this film is these little things. Like, I, I love kind of going into this movie and not knowing if the students know about this school's past. If if some of them are in the know, some of them are not. The witches are, you know, feeding off of this youthful energy. You've got these housemaids that all kind of look like characters from a grim fairy tale. And the little German boy just standing around <laughs> with his shorts. And... He he missed the set. He was supposed to be on Children of the Corn, but just went to the wrong studio that day. And that, all that fascinates me. And this this backstory that is kind of there, but never quite explained. And um, Argento made three of these these uh, mother. It, it's called the Mother of Tears trilogy, which is Suspiria, Inferno, and another movie called Mother of Tears. Inferno kind of ties Suspiria to a universe, but then Mother of Tears has the issue of uh, over-explaining everything and try to tie it all in. Okay. And I feel like what I enjoy about these film, this film is not quite knowing, like, not quite knowing the Mother of Sighs, um, why, like, why she decided to go sleep in the fucking dormitory with all the girls when the maggots were attacking and like right. all these little things like if it's luring it in why is there a werewolf with a knife <laughs> I assume is it, he's all hairy and shit and, <coughs> and then like and then there's little things that I think just like are so bold uh for Argento like just to think like his he start he wrote he made this film with the attention he's like I want the beginning of this film to be as intense as the climax of a normal horror film Okay. And there's a lot of people that feel like it, it 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 fizzles out after that because the beginning and those opening deaths are so intense and so well directed and shot and and everything with you know the fucking stained glass window and yeah. the uh the almost paint like red blood and that, like neon pink <laughs> blood throughout that really caught my eye. It's kind of an Italian thing I've noticed from some like okay. their their blood is very stylized and out there and and then I just I just feel for like I just I'm just curious what this set was like because Argento doesn't speak any English. Okay. His lead actress is American. Right. Everyone well, it else reminded me of a young Karen Allen. I could see it. Um, you know, and other than like Joan Bennett and that lead, I think everyone spoke Italian. I've heard stories of these Italian sets where they don't have a translator usually. <laughs> so like i just imagine like this had to be a weird experience and like you're acting out against someone who doesn't speak your language and like clint eastwood tells this story about when he was making um the spaghetti westerns that you know he'd be acting against a guy who speaks italian doesn't understand any english and they just know their lines and when the <laughs> other person stops you start talking right yeah that's funny <laughs> and it's like i just imagine this film had to be weird and to make and plus they didn't really have any strict laws at the time about endangerment of people yeah so at the end when they're blowing up the school they're just blowing it up around her <laughs> and like her, her 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 look of fear is legitimate because she could fucking blow up yeah well there there was the look of fear but then she gets outside 
from this very bizarre and obviously dangerous situation. And the smile that comes across her face felt so out of place for, like... I like the smile, though. I, I don't dislike it, but I, I wanted to know what was going through her head because it seemed so out of place based on what she just experienced. Like, to me, it's uh, it's a smile of, that was fucking weird. <laughs> like, what did I just experience? <laughs> It, Not, it seems so genuinely happy, like purely like, ah, like, like what you would get walking into Disneyland for the first time or seeing a really pretty rainbow. Well, wasn't it raining at the end of that scene too? It was, yeah. It's 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 washing her uh, of these experiences. Nick. Right. Plus, there's also the theory that she's a white witch and didn't know it. And there's a, there's a bunch uh. of theories that kind of go into this that the reason she was a- able to vanquish Helena Marcos is because okay. she is a white witch. And that um, Helena Marcos sequence reminded me a lot of a D and D encounter. Like, okay, she. Right? Okay, so she sees the shadow of the thing, pulls it aside. Oh, she casts invisibility. Oh, but summons her zombie off to the side to come out and draw attention. (laughs) But she succeeds on her perception check to see that when the lightning strikes, you can see the outline. But then you have a decision to make. Do you go after the zombie that's an imminent threat? Or try the the gamble to see whether or not it pays (coughs) off and stab at the invisibility? (laughs) She stabs it and succeeds. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Well, now that now that you've said it that way, I can't not see it that way. <laughs> I've just maybe I've had too many D and D encounters that involved invisible like spellcasters summoning minions and trying to you know divert battlefield attention that that just fits so nicely into that. <laughs> I have to say, sometimes in movies, invisibility is a nice, like, change of pace. Because <laughs> right. a lot of people do invisibility because it, it's, it's very easy to make it very hokey. Like, the, the old Invisible Man, it's like, they just got, like, a cigar on a, on a fucking <laughs> The end of uh, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Well, that one's great because Vincent Price does the Invisible Man. They, they got the, the glasses <laughs> and the cigarette floating in the boat. <laughs> However, what I think makes it makes the scene of Helena Marcos work is uh, I was uh, watching a video, a visual essay that was on the the disc I bought of Suspiria, and they said every effect in this movie was done in camera. That doesn't surprise me. So like I'm just sitting there trying to figure out how they did that silhouette of Helena Marcos and the light, and I'm like, how? Right? Yeah mirrors or something because like I, I watched that scene and it's like i can't figure that out and that's the type of shit i love in film is when <clears throat> i don't know how it's done yeah you know and not like oh they did it on a computer and i don't know computers womp womp it's like no they and, did this with what they computers had computers you can really do it because you're not limited by reality just the speed and storage of the tech like anything is possible inside a computer if you're clever enough where in practical effects, you are limited by the laws of physics mm-hmm. and how light works and how, you know, all of these things. So when you see something that's a practical effect that you can't quite get your head around, it really sparks the imagination No, for, and I, and for I, production, guys. No, exactly. And I love that shit. And, like, uh, the cinematographer who, who directed this, who, who shot this movie, he... Um, 
it's fascinating because he was still pretty early on in his career at the time. And um, this was one of the last films. Uh, it wasn't shot in three-strip Technicolor because um, there wasn't really any labs that could process that at the time. Okay. But they, they, they finished it in the Technicolor process. So that way they had full control of their blues, greens, and reds. So that way they can change the dye amounts. And because of that is how you got those striking images. And it's one of those things, like, you can see the influence this movie's had on on filmmakers to this day. Like, you can see, like, oh, this person definitely saw Suspiria. Right. And loved yeah. it. Like, I watch, oh, Nicholas Winding Refn is one of my favorite filmmakers working today. And I can see Dario Argento all over his work. I mean, we did. It's very possible that the reference I made earlier with Creepshow it was in that vivid pop of colors, which they just used as little, you know, accents, but could very well have been inspired by. I can almost guarantee it was, and I, here's yeah. why: uh, George Romero and Dario Argento were good friends oh, because well. Ar- Argento <laughs> produced Dawn of the Dead. Oh, okay. Because he's such a big fan of Night of the Living Dead that he, uh, I think, produced. I, I don't think he wrote it. Give me one second. I will, I will find out. He was involved though. Dead air, dead air. Ba, 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 da. All right. Yep. Written by George Romero. Uh, music by the by Goblin and Dario Argento, and mm. he's he's okay. He's the reason. Argento is the reason that it got he helped finance it it looks like and got it played in in Italy where it was just known simply as zombie okay so they are good friends um and that's part of the reason what's interesting though is we've been talking a little bit a lot of it about um Argento's thing with story and what I find fascinating is he co-wrote one of the greatest westerns of all time once upon a time in the west oh really <laughs> which doesn't so he can do story it, it's not a lack of technical ability it's a uh, intentional choice to do something more abstract with with story yeah and i don't know like, i don't want to say like he wasn't thinking about it because that's not the case. I just feel like when he, when things like the maggot seed came up, and he's you know I'm sure there's a script supervisor somewhere going like this doesn't make sense, and he's like I don't care, right? <laughs> Some nerd in Wisconsin <laughs> will read too much into it. We'll be good. <laughs> there was one uh, series of scenes that I think I made a connection to. I actually wanted to go back and watch the scene, but um, I ran out of time. During it, it might be the only time that you actually see them dancing. Like, <laughs> yeah, this uh, dance school with very little dancing. Yeah, um, and I believe the instructor is talking about like the dance relating to fish somehow. Like in this, you're you're playing the part of fish or something. It it was connecting the dancers to fish, and then in the very next scene, um, she starts. Oh, that's where she faints. Yeah. Right, she's having a hard time keeping up. And they move her to a side room where the wallpaper looks exactly like fish scales. Yeah. And then in the very next... There's also birds on that wallpaper as well. Yeah, that was the... Well, no, this is... The first room she's in 
has the the fish bird going in the opposite direction. Oh, you're right, you're right. Yes, this yes. was a, a separate room that just looked like fish scales. Um, but again, like I had forgotten that fish visual from earlier. Um, and then the next shot is the sink full of water going down the drain. So there was like, I, I wondered what the significance of, <coughs> of that fish continuity was. I, I, I think I could um, give the dumb answer. Nice. Uh, <laughs> fish out of water. She's not from there this country. Go. She's yeah. not from this school. She's an outsider in a lot of ways. And she's kind of floundering pun intended ha <laughs> <laughs> um nailed it yep and then i feel like this is just some of the stuff that i've read into it and like um Susie being accepted to this school was all intentional i feel like um dario claiming that Susie was a white witch makes sense to an extent if you think about it. she had to be accepted to this school what's the what's the dark witch's um worst um What's their what's their enemy? A white witch, especially one who doesn't know that. I assume you know if she if she is a white witch, she's got no she's got no clue. Like, so, I'm just gonna, so she, you're thinking they brought her in specifically to destroy her, harness her power? Because I have okay. a couple little things like uh, her her original roommate, the girl painted her those red nails. Yeah. Um, that was her roommate for a little while, but once Susie got sick, they have that line saying, "Oh, she was quick to move her stuff into the academy." Yeah, and because that—that's how they can control her. Is having her in the academy? They're—they're—they're they're, they're fucking with her food. They're fucking with her wine. They are trying to control her. <laughs> and was... then once she catches on and stops drinking the wine and stops eating the fish, which that's <laughs> another thing. She's eating fish. Oh, is she? Yeah, that uh, I only noticed it when they threw it in the garbage and it looked like fish. <laughs> um, I had a hard time because the the soundtrack is so uh aggressive and the there's a lot of whispering happening with the dialogue it was <coughs> like i feel like i didn't pick up on everything that i ordinarily would have also doesn't help that it's kind of hard to make out also doesn't help that i don't know which version you watched so i don't know how cleaned up the soundtrack was oh it was probably terrible i watched it on youtube <laughs> it at least looked good it looked good for you. Like, it didn't look super bad, but it wasn't uh, fully restored 4K, you know, Blu-ray. That's fair. Yada, yada. <laughs> no, I just, my main thing is that this is such a beautifully shot movie. I just wanted to make sure you didn't watch, like, a pukey version of it that goes right from a VHS or something. Yeah, no, it wasn't VHS ripped. It wasn't, you know, down compressed to the point that it was pixelated. It looked nice. All right, because that was my biggest fear is because with Synapse owning the rights to the distribution of this film right now, and it's, you know, once upon a time you could watch it on Amazon, but then it kind of went away, and I was like, oh, shit, I hope Nick can actually find this movie. <laughs> Didn't pull up on any of the major platforms, but then, uh, we'll give YouTube a try. Yup, <laughs> there it is. <laughs> and like, I, I would have just said, oh, you could just buy it, but it's it was so, it was only it was limited to like 5,000 copies, the version I got, so it's sold out. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, but no, it's like, and I don't know. I um, I can't have a steady diet uh, of things like this. But going when I was in film school, I kind of went in thinking art film was stupid and it makes no sense. And I had a couple really cool teachers that kind of opened my mind to art house cinema. And because of that, like I, I'm not saying you can't do this, but you know, um, since you you you're more of a story driven guy, 
Um, I've gotten pretty. I I won't even say good. I I feel comfortable that I can read into not knowing. Yeah. And not I can't have a steady diet of films like this. I can't just like every day this week I'm gonna watch a Suspiria esque film with no story right. that's abrasive <laughs> to my senses. But um, I have noticed that when films like this come out of nowhere, they they tend to really gravitate with me. Like yeah. I, I don't know if it was last year, or the year before, whatever year the Neon Demon came out, which in a lot of ways feels inspired by Suspiria. It has a little bit more story than Suspiria. Okay. But a lot you still need to dig into. Uh, it was my favorite movie that year because it, no matter what happened, I couldn't stop thinking about it. Nice. Or like an, or like his previous film, Drive. You know, there's not a lot of story in that film, but it's just everything and it works. I don't know. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. No, I'm I'm far from the kind of person that thinks that art house film doesn't have a place or that it's self indulgent nonsense. Like, I appreciate it. I appreciate what it does. Um, really, if nothing else, the experimentation that does insp- when you do something dramatic and unexpected, if you do it well, it will inspire other things that will use it to tell interesting stories, um, which is where I am rewarded in watching film. So, like... I get it, and I appreciate it. Um, you know, again, I I enjoyed watching this film. Mm-hmm. I I did find I might even I'd probably watch it one more time to uh, just like knowing how it ended to go back and and kind of piece it together get, get a little more out of it. I think you would. It also like the pacing of it reminded me of um, God. What is that? It was a Japanese horror film. That narrows it down a lot. What's that? Yeah, I said that oh, narrows totally. it down a lot. Um, the it's best known for the end sequence because like it's it is an hour and a half of almost nothing, and then one creepy sequence in the end where this girl is like has this adult man pinned down and she's sticking needles in him. Audition. And, yes. Yeah. Kitty. 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 Yeah. Needles, girl, pinned down, audition. That's the fucking yep, cover. That's the one. <laughs> that's the cover. <laughs> um, the pacing reminded me of audition. Yeah. Uh, I did find an interesting quote, if you don't mind me reading another quote to you. I, I do mind. Please don't. All right. Well, then I'm not going to, except I'm going <laughs> no. to. Um, it's from that website, Kinoi, that I told you about before. And that okay. the, the author, Linda Schultz-Sass, who called Argento Disney's Hidden, hidden Reverse... Um, I wish I would have found this sooner when we were talking about the folkloric elements of Suspiria, but she kind of summarizes it in a nice way. The characters are not psychologically developed, but correspond with folkloric types, a protagonist on a quest by which she will lose her innocence, helper figures who show the way, and a malevolent maternal trio composed of dance instructor Miss Tanner, played by Alita Valley, administrator Madame Blanc, Joan Bennett, and the whiteness of whose name stands in ironic contrast to the yeah. black queen of witchcraft, Helena Marcos, 19th century Greek immigrant, and now the school's elusive headmistress. Nice. So, I don't know. I thought it summarized it very nicely. Yeah. One totally. thing that fascinates me is that Argento originally wanted, when he wrote the script for this, it was supposed to be all like preteen girls in a dance academy. Because okay. he wanted it to fit into 
that idea, you know, because most folklore stories is about children. Yeah. And uh, Goblin's soundtrack feels very childish at times with the toy piano <laughs> and like the whispering, and it 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 feels it feels childish. And yeah. um, he did little things throughout the film to kind of because you know the 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 the, the investors read their script is like you can't have this much violence in a movie of children. Ah, <laughs> oh, come on. And you know he's like what. <laughs> um so he he tried the best he can to just make it feel childish he cast actors with bigger eyes who are a little bit smaller um and then which is gonna be true of dancers anyway yeah and this is something i never even noticed until someone mentioned it i went back and watched it all the doorknobs are are higher than normal height oh interesting because he wanted he wanted it to dwarf the characters he wanted them to feel small wanted them to feel um innocent and they were all all of the rooms had really high ceilings also which i don't i can't say whether or not that's mm-hmm. uh normal for the architecture of the place but um and obviously it was it was supposed to be this grand um place but that again helped with that and, you know and it's interesting too like uh how i described earlier that this is considered his second first film uh, it's also the first film he ever made with a female protagonist, okay. and which I imagine is also the uh, influence of his muse at the time, Daria Nicoletti. Yeah. And I don't know. I just I just find it, it interesting how, you know, he kind of at the middle of not the middle, but he was a couple films deep at this time. Uh, kind of had a resurgence of. Like he'd been he'd been making films steadily for ten years, and he's just like, nope, I'm gonna try something different now. Yeah, that's awesome. Um. <clears throat> it reminded me of a of a story I heard recently. Um, I think it was an NPR, This American Life uh, piece about a comic in France, I think, France, um, who was huge. He, like, brought stand-up comedy to France, inspired by American stand-up. That's kind of neat. And he was huge. He would he he was like the king of stand up there, and he would sell out everything. But he got to the point where like everybody would laugh at every joke, and he got kind of burned out on it. Like it wasn't a challenge for him anymore. So he came to America to make it like where stand up was born, and had to start all over again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was challenged by the language barriers and what Americans found funny versus what, uh, you know, uh, his normal, his, the audience he was accustomed to finding funny. So he came over here and bombed over and over and over again, but figured it out and, and got better and better. Um, he's good friends with Jerry Seinfeld, apparently. Um, but that, that idea of doing something really well and learning a lot about it and then like, okay, let's take on a new challenge now. No, it's the same as uh, the comedian Bobcat Goldthwait. Bob, and he's kind of become a strange influence on me lately. Because Bob, I've always liked him as a comedian. Uh, I liked his character. I liked when he pops up in films. But then... Ah! Um, attention! I need beer up here! Now! But then he kind of, he disappeared for a while. Yeah. And uh, without knowing he directed him, I saw a couple of his movies. He became a writer-director. 
Oh, okay. And like he did a movie called World's Greatest Dad with Robin Williams. Uh, okay. Another movie called God Bless America. Uh, and then a Bigfoot found footage movie called Willow Creek. <laughs> um, awesome. And uh, he's kind of become an influence on me just because he, he started directing because he didn't know if he actually could. Sure. And yeah. he just started writing stuff. And, like, he writes his own weird scripts. And he doesn't have other people write for him. And um, he talks about a little bit about how, you know, he he was doing very well. You know, that character was very well known. He was in the Police Academy movies, which he doesn't uh, particularly like. <laughs> um, and he jokingly says that uh, I, I retired from acting when they stopped hiring me. But he, he started feeling like that character was a crutch. Because, yeah. like he said, when he first started doing comedy, he his, he was all about doing anti-comedy, where, like, he'd go out there and read a Dear John letter in complete tears and then gut a fish. <laughs> and then when he started getting booze, he would put that character on and start insulting the audience and to get them pissed off. But then they started liking it. Yeah. And then Damn he's it. like, people started liking this character and him showing up and... He was only getting roles if he put on the character, put on the character and everything. And um, so not only he's like, you know what, I'm I I don't want to really do this anymore because um, it's not fun and I I feel like it's an insecurity thing. So he's still doing stand up, but he's doing it normal. Yeah. He cool. he doesn't put the character on anymore. Um, he jokingly says he did it for Snickers because he said the amount uh, for a Snickers commercial because he said the amount of money Snickers paid him he would have done anything <laughs> um but he's he's directing now and i just kind of like that he completely reshaped his career yeah and i kind of look up to that a little bit yeah yeah totally nice so what else do we have to add on to suspiria or bobcat goldthwaite whatever we want to talk so about what's up with that dog <laughs> oh the attack dog <laughs> that dog was a jerk that scene, that scene is really bothersome, though. <laughs> Again, like you know, it, it, in hindsight, you learn that it, most likely under the the spell of the witches, as was the bat that yeah, ah, and then flopped along the ground until she threw a towel on it and then smashed. Yeah. Also, the bat looked like it was trying really hard to flush the toilet for a little while. <laughs> it did. Like it was weird. That bat scene is like like I, I look at it, it's like that's not a very good bat, but. It was like it was a lot more aggressive than just a normal bat in a string, and it was like it was both like amusing and like frightening at the same time. Like, oh, get away, big bat! <laughs> its mouth was open the entire time with these rows of teeth. Like, ah! I just watched the new Godzilla, Shin Godzilla, and like okay. th- through half the film, his mouth is just open and he's got googly eyes because he evolves in that film. And when he first comes out of the water, he's got no arms and just got like a swivelly head and big googly eyes and a giant mouth. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> Amazing. But uh, going back to that attack scene real quick in the in that square, yeah. re- really bothered me for a couple reasons. One, like it's it's interesting. It's one of the few scenes that have no crazy lighting. Okay. And they and they, yeah. they said the reason they didn't is a uh, completely practical reason. It was too fucking hard to light that much space. Right. It was it was huge, and you get this great feeling of emptiness that um, you did in a lot of the film, but it's most prominent in that scene. Yeah, and like you think that he's blind too, so he can't see it coming. And the one thing that's supposed to protect him is the one that attacks him. And like you know, they show like one of those buildings, and you see. Uh, I I didn't notice this until someone pointed it out, and I went back and watched it. You see three figures fly past in shadows. Oh, nice. which gives me the impression of witches. Yep. Totally. Um, and then to find uh, out, I'm sorry. 
Um, and earlier on, when uh, one of them accuses uh, him that of uh, the dog attacking her son, um, mm-hmm. you never see the attack. And no. so you hear it. Um, so then later on, when this happens, there's still the question of, did the dog attack the kid? Mm-hmm. Um, because there is now evidence that it did, but not proof. But also, at the end, there's evidence that uh, very likely it didn't. And they were just using that to somehow manipulate the situation that was an interesting story bit that I enjoyed. Yeah, and then, like, what's interesting, too, about that square, because originally I looked at it, it's like, this does not feel like Germany. <laughs> uh, and I looked it up, and that square is apparently where they ha- used to hold Nazi rallies. And I was like, well, that just adds a whole new resonance to this, yeah. to this scene. <laughs> I don't plus it's like, like, like we mentioned, it was, you know, it's, it's not light the normal way. It's very empty and very spacious, and it's just, I don't know, kind of unsettling. Yeah. But um, I think that's Suspiria, Nick. So Suspiria, unsettling. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to be unsettled, that was that's a great one. Yeah, uh, it, it's got my uh, my my two thumbs up for unsettling. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you'd mentioned that eh, kind of off the air, kind of on the air. Depends on how the edit goes. Yeah. Um, having watched something new, Nick, tell yes. me. Yes. Um, and you were you mentioned how. Um, this director is the, uh, the Hitchcock of Italy. Yeah, that's kind of what he's known as. Um, I watched a Hitchcock film that I was not aware of, um, based on a French author's novel, I believe. Um, Rebecca. Announcing the return of the most glamorous motion picture ever made, David O. Selznick and Alfred Hitchcock bring you the Grand Slam Prize winner that made motion picture history. Winner of the Academy Award, voted by America's critics as the best picture of the year. And now, as a result of a national poll, winning new honors as audiences throughout the country vote to see it again. The Selznick Studios' successor to Gone with the Wind, Rebecca, brought to the screen with all the warmth and emotion that made millions of readers acclaim Daphne du Maurier's bestseller as the most exciting love story of our time. Yeah, which is one that happens. Isn't uh, uh, Sean Connery in that one? No. Or am I? What, what movie am I thinking? I'm thinking. No. I'm thinking of Marnie. <clears throat> Never mind. Um, but it is. Um, let me pull it up here. Um, the male lead uh, i was told was a big influence on um uh what the dread pirate roberts princess bride yeah what who's the actor carrie ellis yeah was a um, and if you saw Rebecca with that in mind, you'd see it like the the way that he delivers things, even the mustache. <laughs> it's a great mustache. Uh, Lawrence Oliver. Gotcha. Oh, Olivier. Sorry. <laughs> Lawrence Olivier. Olivier. Yeah, I know. That is different I... than Lawrence Oliver. <laughs> it doesn't sound nearly as impressive. Lawrence Oliver. <laughs> yeah, I've seen Olivier and stuff. And and Joan Fontaine. Those are the two leads. Joan Fontaine. That's <clears throat> um, a good name. And since, uh, you know, we're certainly not worrying about spoilers at all, because we never do, um, really fascinating. I mean, very, very Hitchcock-ian. Hitchcock-y? 
Hitchcockian? Hitchcockian. Hitchcocksmith. Hitchcocksmith. <laughs> um, really, really cool story. It has that same kind of like your your setting. It, it's set up to be a film like any other in this time period, but then um, there's this specter of that. Uh, woman falls in love with a man uh very quickly on the spur of the moment uh he proposes to her and says if you want we'll get married and move to my giant estate um because he's super rich she is not um but there's this specter of his first wife rebecca who who we know died uh, about a year ago from drowning and what is really cool about the film is how much of a character Rebecca is and how much power Rebecca has, how much weight she has. Yeah. Without you ever seeing her. That is fascinating. Yeah. Um, so I really enjoyed it. Uh, has that, that Hitchcock twist uh, towards the end. Um, that. It- He's another director that even if I don't necessarily love one of his films, it's very confidently directed, and he definitely everything in the frame, you know, he's meticulously planned. Yeah, and everything in the story too, where you know the the direction I come at it with, every line, every every thought has a reason. You know, it's it's bringing you back to this other point earlier, or setting you up for something before uh, that that you're about to experience. Um, and and layers upon layers of subtext that just makes me feel happy all over. <laughs> One of the things I liked about Hitchcock so much is, and, you know, he, I don't know, there's critics of Hitchcock that felt like it, in a way it, it was holding him back because he could have done so much more than he already fucking did, <laughs> was that he um, he was very mindful of the audience. Okay. He's like, I, uh, you know... He, he could make something, like, let's just say he could make something like Suspiria, for example, because he wanted to make very violent, very out there, weird things. And he's like, and I could make something like that, and, you know, 80% of the audience will enjoy it. Or I can make something that's got a little more... Um, Palatability. What? Palatability. Palatability, and, 100, and lose a little bit of artistic merits. Right. Yeah. And a hundred percent of the audience will like it. Yeah. It's like it's the reason why at the end of Psycho he added that little um, uh, monologue from the Doctor, explaining okay. Norman Bates's mental condition because right. he said you, he he could have ended it perfectly well on the shot of Norman Bates and we never quite known. Yeah. But by adding that little speech, even the people who aren't fully paying attention can know what's going on, and that way more people will <laughs> like it. So. The friends I was watching it with um, at one point, I was like, "All right, so let me get this straight." And I and I outlined kind of how I understood. What I imagine I you saw. had like one of those thin cigarettes too while you're like, yes, yes, like Herschel Poirot. <laughs> and then, um, I also saw uh, Murder on the Orient Express in the theater recently. The new one? Yeah, we could talk about that in a second too because I've seen nice. it. Okay. Um, and but so right as soon as I get done explaining what I thought I just saw, 
then there's the sequence of her lying in bed tossing and turning with those words repeating to really <laughs> drill in like it was Hitchcock going yeah okay I heard you had a question I, I heard you weren't sure so here you go let me make sure you understand that yeah <laughs> and like I, I can see the commenters who said you know if, if you didn't have because like it was in film school like when if I would choose to put narration in a scene they're like I would be stronger without it granted there's a little more question about whether what it truly means but you know it's 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 likability versus artistic credibility if that makes sense it's not saying yeah. that you can't make something very artistic that still has audience likability but it's usually a juggle and i feel like because he juggled it so well is why he's still to this day one of the most successful filmmakers yeah. of all time my wife has this uncanny a bit I, and I think it comes from a really strong instinct about story but <clears throat> no matter what we watch multiple times she will go yeah but what about this and then or or why did that happen or who is that and with without fail every time it cuts to the scene answering her question because like I think she can sense that that's the point in the story where it's supposed to explain it. Oh, the Suspiria would piss her off. Yeah. <laughs> is shouldn't there be a bat attack here? I feel like those maggots should be coming out of something in the end. Probably spoiled meat, I think. Yeah, I I would think and I'm guessing it has absolutely nothing to do with the broader narrative. <laughs> because maggots. That's the reason. Because maggots yep. are gross. Because maggots. Yeah. Boy. Because maggots. Weren't those maggots gross? Yeah. <laughs> I like to imagine someone asks him, like, so what was with the maggots in Superior? Because maggots. <laughs> yeah. It's the only English okay. he knows. Because maggots. Murder on the Orient Express. So I'll be the first to say, I have not seen the original one yet. I have a copy of it. I was gifted I, a copy of it. I've not seen it yet. That is the my first entry into Poirot at all. Yeah, well, I knew about I knew of him because I'd see like the it see it on TV. I wouldn't watch it, but I saw the name, uh, mm -hmm. and then Kevin Smith re referenced it in Chasing Amy. But that's about the extent of my knowledge. Uh, I was listening to an interview with Patton Oswalt, and he referenced Poirot, and I'm like, oh, I get that now. <laughs> like like Patton, all cultured like, and shit. <laughs> Chris Hardwick one time said in one of his podcasts that you know not everything is for everyone. No. You know, not everything. You don't have to like everything. Unless you're Patton Oswald, where I feel like he legitimately likes everything. Like, <laughs> or not everything, but like, if there's a weird subculture of nerddom, he's involved. Yep. Because yeah. he gets, he knows everything. <laughs> like, music, video games, horror movie. He's like, he's got his, to he's got his toes in everything. I don't know how <laughs> he has time for anything. Oh, he just has a lot of toes. Yeah. 27, to be exact. Yeah, because like uh, when Chase and Amy, like, like Kevin Smith re referenced Herschel Poirot, or at the end when Ben Affleck is uh, is grilling, um, well, I can't think of her name. Um, uh, Laura, Laura, Joey Adams. Jo Lauren, uh, Joey, Joey Lauren Adams? Lauren, yeah, her. Uh, Lauren <laughs> Joey, or whatever her name is. Jo yeah. Um, and like, you know, Amy. He, he's, he, well, technically, no, it's not her no, name. No, it's, it's been a while since I've seen it. Uh, but you know he he's trying to figure out whether you know about her past and everything, and like she references like what are you Herschel fucking Poirot? Because <laughs> he's not being subtle at all. Yeah. But anyways, what do you think of Murder Orient Express? My my impression of it is the film 
like I felt like an outsider. It wasn't a film written for everyone. It was a film made for Agatha Christie fans. I felt. Yeah. Um, it was, for the most part, enjoyable. But I, the whole time, I felt like it was, hey, Poirot fans, did you catch that? Hey, Poirot fans, get that? Mm-hmm. And I spent went the whole time going, no, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I did not. But but cool. <laughs> Yeah, and, like, I liked elements of it. Like, uh, I thought all the performances were really good. Um, I'm not going to spoil this one because it's still kind of... Well, is it new? It's technically an old story. Well, whatever. I I spoil anything and everything. Well, I did not see that ending coming where, like, for everyone listening, we're going to spoil the end of Murder on the Orient Express. Where like everyone's Everyone the killer. Did it. Everyone's the killer. It's like I sat there's like I honestly did not see that coming. At two, Brute. Yeah. Um and there's some time like I said I, I enjoyed I thought uh, Poirot was a funny character. I enjoyed a lot uh, a lot of yeah. his humor bits. <clears throat> yep. Um I was amused that they killed off Johnny Depp so early. Because <laughs> like when you watch the trailer, you go back and watch the trailer for that movie and they really beef him up as being like the villain. And it's funny uh, how he's He's ba- he's barely in the movie, but he's also kind of the most important character in the movie. Right. It's like that's yeah. some interesting casting. Um, <laughs> he's like, I want to be the most important character in this movie, but not have any screen time. Okay, we got one, we got a perfect character for you. Have you have not seen the Cube, correct? Not yet. It's on my shame list. Okay. Um, then I will not spoil that for you. But what you just said reminds me of kind of how they promoted the Cube. Who, who is in the cube? Who, who is in the cube again? Uh, no one of any oh. note that I can think. I keep of. It thinking was it was indie. like Jennifer Lopez. Wasn't she in like some mind bending? That's, that's in the cell. The cell. Okay. And, I get all uh, these. Vince Vaughn was also in that before he was like just played himself. Yeah. Every time. I know. I, I get all those titles kind of confused yeah. and. I but I pitched both of those films to you in the same. Here's a list of films that I think you would really. Yeah. Enjoy. Wasn't that also in the same list of Dark City? Yes. All right. Yeah, I remember this. And they they all have a similar like dark sci-fi not, not dystopian like vibe to it. Okay. That's cool. But uh yeah, I like I uh Murder on Orient Express is a movie I had a lot of fun watching even if I didn't get everything. It's like I don't get that <laughs> reference, but yay for trying. Right. Um, yeah. So there's some performance in there at least, like Josh Gad really impressed me because I'm still yeah. used to him being like the the comedy Olaf. actor, but like he was one of my favorite characters in that movie, and um, it was a lot of fun to watch. I don't know how often I'm gonna watch it. Like I'm I'm looking forward to seeing the original, and seeing okay. like which one I prefer. Yeah, but uh, it was kind of interesting being the youngest person in the movie. Th- well, actually, technically Amanda <laughs> was the youngest person in the movie theater, but you know whatever. <laughs> I, I had also had one or two cocktails prior to arriving in the theater, so I wasn't quite as sharp as I usually so am. So you're just so belligerent my, and like, I don't my, get this movie. <laughs> this is bullshit. <laughs> I'd take any criticism from me with a grain of salt. Uh, it's funny. Uh, recently we saw a trailer for the new Liam Neeson movie, The Commuter, and I looked to a man to go, another murder on the Orient Express. <laughs> How many of these do we need? Yeah, it's it's just the high octane version of the same movie, right? With Liam Neeson, which I have to say, I'd never, I'd never would have expected him to become an action star. I still right. look at him as like, why are you happen? an action star? 
Was that all uh, an effect from Razal Duel? No, it was um, Taken. Okay. Because of Taken, I, now he's I like don't know who you are. the older badass. But I will find you. And Which, I will kill you. And I feel like I'm in a minority that saw Taken. I was like, eh, it was okay. I, I have not seen it. It's okay. It's okay. Eh. Take it or leave it. Ah! <laughs> oh. And that's why people keep coming back to this shit. That's, it is that quality level of wordplay that <laughs> really ropes in the views. Uh, I agree. Uh, since I think we're kind of running out of steam here, yeah. um, I feel like we, we kind of talked... Um, I don't know if it's going to be our next episode, but we talked a little bit about an upcoming episode. Yes. Uh, is that going to be our next one, or is that the one after? I don't think so. I think that's going to be, like, second half of February. All right. We can spoil it for everyone. Totally. Um, so, and we had already talked about it yeah, in an earlier episode. we had talked er- in an earlier episode, um, whatever episode that was, um, about doing a double the feature. Dark City episode, because I just edited it. Oh, well, the then it was the Dark City episode. <laughs> I was going to be like, if you tell us what episode it was, you get a prize, but now they don't. Ooh, what prize do I get? Uh, you can get... Have you seen any of my... Have you seen my newest film? Do you love No. Me? Well, then you get a link to that. Congratulations. Yes. <laughs> um, we are going to do a double feature of Super Mario Brothers and... Yes. Masters, uh, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, I believe, is how it's titled... Yes, which I've never seen. Nick hasn't seen Super Mario Brothers. It's gonna be a very weird episode. We we decided that this would be the shameful or the shame on us podcast episode. Yeah, because like I personally love Super Mario Brothers and everyone hates it and now I'm <laughs> subjecting Nick to watching it and it's gonna be a great time. I think I've put that clip of them getting checked into the police station and the Mario, Mario. No, Luigi, Mario. All right, between the two of you, how many Marios are there? There's three. There's Mario, Mario, and Luigi, Mario. I've used that clip like three times in the video. I watched that movie, and I I, I watched it. It's like, how do people dislike this movie? It's like, honestly, if, 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 if Super Mario Brothers and Dark City fucked and had a baby, <laughs> that's Super Mario Brothers, the movie. Beautiful. Like I'm, I, 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 I'm honestly 100 percent serious. There, that is this movie. Sweet. So it's gonna be a good time. For I all. can't wait. <laughs> I'm excited. But first, we need to decide what we're doing next episode. Yeah. Um. I, so this was on my shameless. So it's your turn. Let me see if I can find. I can cut out all this dead air. I'm gonna pull up my shameless. We did just mention uh, the cube and the cell. If either of those suit your fancy. Well, let's see what I've got on here real quick. To see if there's anything, like, <clears throat> big that I feel like we've missed before. Because I, I always like mixing it up with, like, smaller films, bigger films. And yeah. kind of finding a, uh, a mixture. So I'm going to just name off a couple films. And tell okay. me if you've seen any of them or if you have any interest. Uh, Cabaret, I've never seen. I have not, either. Uh, Charlie Varick. I have not. Chinatown. I have not. Dirty Harry. I have seen that. So that's another one I haven't seen. I've never seen Easy Rider. Neither have I. Uh, Bob we Dylan, of, Don't Look oh, Back. I have not seen that. Uh, Apocalypse Now. I have not. Have we seen any movies? <laughs> <laughs> Lawrence of Arabia. I have not seen that. God damn, we haven't seen anything, have we? Well, well, we can do. We can certainly do a movie that neither of us have seen. 
Raging Bull is one I haven't seen. I have not seen that. Taxi Driver I haven't seen. I know you've seen that. I have seen Taxi Driver. So that could be an episode. Uh, You know what? Wait, no, I don't know. Miranda's got a family friend coming to visit, her her best friend, and she wants to watch The Godfather. Okay. I need to see when she's coming to town. But that, that we should do as an upcoming one. Uh, I said all this dead air will be cut out. <laughs> um, February 2nd is when they're visiting. Okay, so that's kind of our mid-February episode. I'm so we need something before that. Yeah. We'll, we'll figure it. Hold on. I'm going through my list and trying to pick something interesting. Well, how about Cabaret? It's one of Amanda's favorite movies. Okay. How do you feel about Cabaret? I don't know. I haven't seen it yet. Or is that, <laughs> Let's do it. Is that going to be Cabaret or Dirty Harry? Um, As, what's your preference? Well, I've kind of been wanting to watch Dirty Harry, but I'd be fine with something, because I don't think we've done many musicals. Let's do... Well, Dirty Harry's not a musical. Well, Cabaret is. Oh, okay. <laughs> Dirty Harry the musical. I thought maybe you were thinking of Paint Your Wagon. Can we make Dirty <laughs> Harry the musical? Yes. <laughs> we just gotta find it. That, that would be a perfect for on the stage. Um, what, what was the Bob's Burgers episode? There was uh, Working Girl and Die Hard. Yeah, combine both of those movies into a single musical. <laughs> I also like uh, in Rushmore when he did the stage play of Serpico. Nice. I have not seen Rushmore. Well, that's a good one. All right. We got Dirty Harry next. Okay. Uh, we might need one more episode after that, but then Godfather. Say, yeah. And then Super Mario he-man double feature yeah so we, we got, got the next few. yeah we got the next three episodes three planned. or four if we uh if we need another one in there we'll post them off your shame list nice all right sweet fun well everyone that has been this episode of the shameless picture show <laughs> i hope you enjoyed it we certainly did <laughs> uh yeah that's it goodbye yeah. nick right. later suckers <laughs>